When I was a teenager and I didn't have anything to do on Saturday afternoons, one of the things I loved to do was watch ABC's Wide World of Sports. So I don't know if any of you guys did that growing up. It doesn't come on anymore, but there wasn't a lot of channels to watch, so that was uh, one of the things. So I want you to see the very beginning of how this show would uh, start. Let's listen to Jim McKay. the globe to bring you the constant variety of sport, the thrill of victory, and the agony of defeat, the human drama of athletic competition. This is ABC's Wide World of Sports. It just makes me feel so good to listen to that again. I don't know about you guys, but uh, how, many, how many people watch that ABC? So y'all know what I'm talking about. Well, that one line, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat, and that skier coming down, they use that clip for years and years on the agony of defeat. But uh, that kind of, in my mind, as I'm reading through Joshua, describes really his first two battles in the, in the Israelites as they come into the promised land. Uh, that's what they experienced. And so I want us to look at that this morning. Uh, we're in a sermon series called What's Next? And we're looking at uh, the life of Joshua and gleaning some truths from his life as we enter into this new season of our life, this new year, and we're asking what is next uh, two weeks ago, we looked at the fact that, uh, you know, when you enter something new, do you feel prepared? Do we feel like we're ready for something like that and how Joshua, God had prepared him and how God is with us as we walk into these new experiences? Uh, last week, Fran talked about uh, the questions that we ask. Are we asking the right questions uh, when Joshua encounters the heavenly being and he says, are you on our side or are you on our enemy's side? And, and that uh, heavenly being said, No. Uh, basically, we need to be asking, Lord, am I on your side, not, Lord, be on my side kind of thing. So, uh, but this morning, I want us to look at uh, the ter- first two battles and, and uh, celebrate with Joshua and the people of Israel, but also understand the defeat that they experienced and how we can uh, move forward in our life and be better off because of it. So let me bring you up to date. You've got two scriptures in your bulletin. The first one uh, has to do with how Joshua was famous throughout the land, uh, Verse 27 of chapter 6 says, And so the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout the land. And how did that happen? Well, we we know um, as uh, Deuteronomy ends, Moses is is dead, and Joshua is taking over. Uh, We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Um, But now they're going to enter the promised land. And so in chapter 1, after God encourages Joshua, and then the people say, be strong and courageous, uh, then we read about um, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Now, this is the 12 brothers. Uh, Joseph was one of those brothers, but you never hear about the tribe of Joseph, do you? We just never hear about Joseph's tribe. But he had two sons when he lived in Egypt, Manasseh and Ephraim, and those were called half-tribes. And so that 12th tribe out of the 12 of, of Israel uh, were those two brothers. So when Moses and, and the people of Israel were coming to the uh, promised land, back in Exodus, uh, the Reubenites, Reuben, the very firstborn, and Gad, all his descendants, and the descendants of Manasseh said, we really like this land on the east side of the Jordan River. We've got all these flocks and herds and, and, and all of these people, and this is a perfect land for us. Moses, would you allow us to live here? And, and the Lord told Moses, yeah, that's fine. 
uh, as long as they'll go into the promised land and help the rest of their brothers conquer the land that I've promised uh, to give them. So they said, sure, you know, when it's time to, to cross the Jordan River and, 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 and pronounce your judgment on those people and, and, and inherit the promised land, yeah, we'll, we'll send our warriors with you. So what happens in chapter 1 of Joshua is they remind Joshua of what Moses promised, and that is that the Lord had told Moses they can have this land over here, but we'll come over and, and help you guys win the battles that you're fighting. So uh, we find out in, in chapter 1 that they've, uh, you know, reestablished that. Chapter 2, we find out that Joshua sends two spies into the promised land. They're still on, on the east side of the Jordan River. Uh, two spies, and they check out Jericho, which is the first city that they come to. And they go into Jericho, and they, they check things out. And the men of Jericho find out that they're there, and they start searching for them. And so these two spies go to this prostitute's house, a harlot, a Rahab, and say, will you hide us? And she basically says, yeah, and the reason I'm going to do that is because we all know what God did through you to the Egyptians years before. We've heard the story, and we've heard how you defeated the two men, that, the two, two nations that y'all fought in the, in the wilderness, and basically our guys are scared to death of y'all. The Lord has put the fear of you on us, and their hearts have melted away. And so there's no strength in our men. And so the, the spies are like, ooh, this, this is pretty cool. And Rahab says, but will you spare me and my family when you come? Because we know you're going to conquer our city. Because your God is the true God. And they said, yes. Uh, why don't you put a scarlet cord outside of your window? Because she lived actually on the wall. And, and as she looked out her window, that was on the other side of Jericho. So she's, And so they said, if you'll put a scarlet cord outside of your window when we come and, and take over the city... Anybody who's in this house with you will spare. But if you don't do that, blood's on your hands. So she agrees to do that. Uh, men go back and they tell Joshua, hey, guy, and this is all Mark McGonigal translation, they are scared to death of us. God is, is going to give us this city. God has gone before us. God has already prepared us. And so, so they were real excited about it. So chapter 3, they crossed the Jordan River. Now, this is during the season when the floods were there and the Jordan had over. Uh, flown their banks, and so it was a, it was a raging river. And uh, Fran talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but, but the, the priest went in first with the Ark of the Covenant. God dried up the river, and all the people of Israel crossed over on dry ground. And, and Joshua said, get one man from each tribe, and you go back to the middle of the river, and you pick up a stone. And they all had a stone, and they, and they made a, a pillar of stones. 12 stones. And Joshua said, when your children ask you, hey, what are these stones? Because kids always say, dad, what about this? Mom, what is this? You know how inquisitive people are, especially children. Then you tell them that God was with you. And you tell the story and you remind them of God's faithfulness and God's power. So they did that. Uh, chapter 12, um, or, or, or chapter 4, sorry about that. Um, the men that go from the Gadites and the Reubenites and the half tribe, there was 40,000 men of war that went over with them. So that was pretty cool to see. And then we see in chapter 4 that God starts exalting Joshua. God, he starts really lifting him up. Uh, and so uh, chapter 5, we see that uh, uh, as they cross the Jordan River, um, the, the inhabitants of the, of the land they're fixing to conquer, their hearts are melted away. It says that in verse 1. And then all the men who were born in the wilderness that left Egypt and were born in the wilderness during those 40 years of, 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 of wandering had not been circumcised. Now that was a sign of the covenant that God had given Abraham. 
all your men on the eighth day of their birth, um, when they're eight days old, you circumcise. That's the outward sign of the covenant that I am making with you. So I expect all the men to be circumcised. So all those guys had not been circumcised. So they all got circumcised, and after they got healed from, from the circumcision, uh, it was time to, to do the, the, the next thing, and that was to observe the Passover. So observe the Passover. Uh, and remember that they were eating manna. Every morning God would, would put this dew-like substance on the ground and they would gather it up and it was what they ate. It was their bread, bread from heaven. And so during the 40 years of wilderness wandering they, were, they had bread every day. Uh, and on the Sabbath day they didn't go gather it because the day before they gathered twice as much and it didn't go bad. Uh, but once they crossed the Jordan and they were observing the Passover and they were healing from their circumcision some of the produce of the land they started gathering and eating. And once they started eating from the promised land, the manna stopped, which is kind of cool because God provided for them. And then uh, once they could eat of the land, God said, okay, now you're going to be taken care of. And then at the end of chapter 5, that's, or, or in chapter 5, that's when Joshua encounters this heavenly being, and that's what Fran preached about last week. So in chapter 6, so that kind of brings us up to where we are in chapter 6. So in chapter 6, um, they know they're going to, take over Jericho. All the men are ready to go, go into war. And this is what God says to Joshua. He says, okay, here's how you're going to win this battle. I want you to take the priest. I want you to give them trumpets. I want them to carry the Ark of the Covenant. And since Jericho has this massive wall around it, I want you to mar- march around this, this walled city one time for six days, each day one time. And I want the, the Trumpets to be blowing, and I don't want any warrior to say a word. I want everybody to be really quiet. But leave the camp, march around Jericho, blowing the trumpets, carrying the ark, and come back to the camp. Do that one time each day for six days. Then on the seventh day, I want you to march around at seven times. At the end of seven times, I want you to tell them to shout. And then when they shout, you'll see what I'm going to do. Now, Joshua is a military leader. Remember, we're introduced to Joshua and the first thing is he's, he's fighting the Amalekites. So he's a warrior. And he's like, you know, God, I, I can just imagine him saying, that doesn't make any sense, you know, for us to do that. But Joshua trusted the Lord. Joshua had seen the hand of God. And Joshua, okay, that's what we're going to do. So that's what he tells the men to do. And they do that. And before the seventh day, <clears throat> he says, here's one more thing you need to know. So today, when we take the city, you need to understand something very specific that God said. Everything in the city is under a ban. It is it's forbidden. You can't have it. You can't take it. It's not a part of the spoils of the war that we're going to win. It's under a ban. All the silver, all the gold, all, everything, don't touch it. Don't look at it and covet it. Don't want it for yourself. It belongs to the Lord. It's going to be in the treasury. It'll be used later on. Don't take anything. Very specific. Everybody knew that. No question about that. That was, you know, this is a command. Don't do it. All right, so you know the story. If you grew up in church, you probably sang the songs, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. Jericho. You remember that song, you know, and the walls came tumbling down. Well, anyway, that was such a powerful, powerful thing. So on the seventh day, they shout after walking around seven times. The wall comes down. They, they rush the city. They conquer them. The men who are, are in the city, even though they're great warriors, they're, they're terrified because these are the people that have this holy God that's a part of who they are. And, and, and so they, they win the, the, the battle. 
Tremendous victory, outstanding, the, the thrill of victory. Everybody's celebrating, everybody's excited. Uh, they go to Rahab's house and everything, everybody in there is saved. She's a part of the community of faith now. I mean, it, great victory, awesome victory. It is, it is just so amazing uh, what happens. And then, did I leave my glasses over there? You want to throw me those glasses? Um, so I won't come out of the, the picture, but thanks, Liz. Um, so, so great victory, everybody's happy, everybody's excited. When you get old, you got to have readers. Yeah. So, uh, so then we get into chapter 7. So Joshua was famous as we talked about. Chapter 7, verse 1. But the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regard to the things under the ban. For Achan, the son of Kamari, and then it goes on, talks about his family from the tribe of Judah, took some of the things under the ban. Therefore, the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. So here's what happened. In the midst of that great battle, we find out one guy, and we'll find out a little bit more about what he took in just a minute. But he looks on this stuff, and he covets it, and he takes it. Now, God sees this, because God sees all things that are happening. God was very specific. Don't take any of that stuff. Why did God say it? We don't know why God said it, but that's what God said. And because they disobeyed, God's anger burned. Now, if you look at your bulletin, you'll see these next couple of verses. In chapters uh, <clears throat> 7, verse 2. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. So the men went up and spied, it, spied out Ai. Then they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not have all the people go up. Have only about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not trouble all the people there. For they are few. So about 3,000 men went from the people up there, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck and killed about 36 of the men and pursued them as far as the gate, um, Shebarim, and struck them on the mountainside. And the hearts of the people melted and became like water. The agony of defeat. How many guys came over with Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe? How many? Remember that? 40,000, right? So from those three tribes, you had 40,000 warriors. Then you had the rest of the 12. So he had thousands and thousands and thousands of guys that were ready for battle. They had just won this amazing victory, and they were riding high. The next town they're going to go to is this small little bitty town and the men who spied it out said, listen, we just need about 2,000, maybe 3,000 guys. A small fraction of their army. Send them over there, wipe out AI, no big deal. But when they go to fight this small little town, they are defeated. They are defeated soundly. And it's devastating. The thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. And I want to submit to you this morning, I think that as we, as we enter this new year, as we enter a new season, any time in our life, there's going to be great times of celebrating. There's going to be great things that happen. Things that are going to make us happy. Things are going to be going well. But unfortunately, there's going to be times when things aren't going to go well, when we might experience defeat. We might experience a loss. We might experience a failure. And what are some of those principles that I think that uh, we can glean from that? Um, and that's what we're going to talk about in just a minute. Uh, well, we'll talk about it now. <laughs> Sorry about that. All right, so the first thing, when things are going well, here's three things I want, I want you to remember to do. 
think three things that are, when you're going well, when you're victorious, when you're riding high. The first thing is to stay humble. When you win, when you have a victory, when you're doing great, stay humble. Because nobody likes a winner who brags, do they? Nobody likes a winner who's always gloating and always pointing out. Scripture says, let someone else brag on you, not yourself. So stay humble. 1 Peter 5.5 says this, You younger men, likewise be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. James says the same thing in James 4, 6. He talks about the fact that God will resist. He is opposed to people who are arrogant and prideful. But people who are humble, people who are, are meek, and that doesn't mean weak. It means just submissive to the, God, the will of God. He's going to give greater grace. Remember Jesus tells this parable about the, the, the righteous man and, and the sinner, and they go to, to the temple and they want to uh, talk to God and the, the, the Pharisee, the, the religious leader, uh, he, he is, he's talking about all the great things he does. I fast several times a week, and I give all this stuff and all that, and he justifies himself for God. And the other guy goes before the Lord, and he, and he just he's, he beats his breast, and he says, God, I'm a sinner. Just please have mercy on me. And Jesus said, who's, who's the one that's going to go out forgiven? Who's the one who's going to go out in right standing with God? It's the one who's humble before the Lord. So this idea of staying humble is so, so important. So when you're winning and when things are going great, when, when, when you're excited about what's going on, just remain humble. The second thing is to remember whom to praise. Joshua knew that that battle plan in the natural world and in, in, in a military mind, that is not going to work. But God said to do it, and they obeyed the Lord, and God showed himself to be mighty on their behalf. So who do you praise? You praise God. Who do you give thanks to? We give thanks to God, because God is the one who gives us the gifts and the graces and the abilities and the strength and the wisdom, all the things that we have, every good and perfect gift, the Scripture says, comes from the Lord. So we want to make sure we're giving God praise and giving him thanks and to recognize, first of all, God. And then work hard and do the things we've got to do, but, but give God the, the, the glory. And that's what Joshua did. Uh, continue to honor God and acknowledge him and all the things that, that he does uh, when things are going great. Because a lot of times the tendency is, is to, when things are going great, to forget to thank God, to forget to praise God, because things are going great. The third thing is don't let up. So the first thing, stay humble, remember who to praise, and then don't let up. Continue to grow, continue to, to do the things you know you're supposed to do. Many times when things are going great, we tend to get lazy, don't we? We, we tend to just coast and think, you know, everything's good, everything's rosy, everything's fine. I, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cool it for a little while. But, but we, need to, we need to keep doing the things that we know that we are to do. Jesus said, if you're faithful in the little things, then you'll be faithful in the big things. But when we're doing great, sometimes we stop being faithful in the little things. We stopped doing those things that made us successful. We stopped doing those things that gave us the victory. So I want to encourage you to keep doing those things that you know you're supposed to do when things are going great. Don't let up. Don't slack off. Don't, don't get lazy. Amen? So those are three things I want to encourage you to do when things are going well. Uh, when things aren't going well, when you lose, uh, when, you're, when, you, when you have a failure in your, in your life, or when things aren't going well, uh, what do we do? So we can learn from Joshua. First thing is to run to God and not away from him. 
And that's what happened when Joshua, when they lost to Ai, what Joshua does, he runs to the Lord and he, and he tears his garment and, and he comes before God and he says, God, what, what happened? And that's when God said, Israel has sinned. Israel has broken my commandment. Get up, get everybody together, and I'm going to show you who it was. And so many times when we run to God, one of the things he'll do in his mercy and in his tenderness the Holy Spirit will convict us of our sin. And, and, and I've talked about this before. It's not condemnation where you feel like, oh, you know, woe is me. But it's, it's conviction where God is very specific. Here's a sin in your life. Here's what you've done. Here's what you've thought. Here's... And so when we run to God in times of failure when things aren't going well, many times he can say, okay, here's what you need to do to get it right. And that's what he did here. He said, here's what you've got to do to get things right again. So they find out it's Achan, they, they, and there's a whole way of doing, doing that. And so uh, they come before, Achan comes before the people and basically says, and this is in chapter 7, verse 20, Achan answered Joshua and said, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. He basically saw a robe that was beautiful. He saw 200 shekels of silver, which is about five pounds of silver, he saw a bar of gold, which was about 12 ounces, so it was a little bit over a pound of gold. So he sees this, this wonderful uh, mantle, this beautiful clothing. He saw silver, he saw gold. And when he saw that, the first thing that should have entered his mind was, don't touch it. That's God's. Don't covet it. Don't start thinking about it. You're wearing it. You know, all the compliments you're going to get because you're sporting this new jacket. Don't, don't go there. Don't let your mind go there. But he did. He lusted after it, he coveted it, and he, and he took it. And he tells Joshua, I went and I hid it in my tent. I dug a hole in my, on the floor where my tent was. I put it in the earth, and that's where it is. So they went, and they found it, and, uh, and they had to um, punish him. And, and it was, you can read about how that death penalty took place. But the bottom line is we need to run to God and not run away from God. And when we run to God, sometimes he's going to point out things in our life that we need to get right. Sometimes in our failure, we're going to run to God and he's going to say, I got this. Remember our sermon series when we talked about it's complicated? Sometimes it, things happen to you not because of your sin, that's what happened here, but because of, of what's going on in this world, what somebody else has done. And so you don't point the blame, but you basically realize, you know, things are complicated and God might give you a word of encouragement. Stay the course. Hang in there. Here's what you need to do next. But we need to run to God and then that kind of ties into the second thing is remember whose you are. When we fail, when we don't do well, we need to remember that, that we belong to God, that we through faith in Christ are his children. And even though you might fail at something, please let's not let that define us because you are not a failure just because you failed. If you lose at something, please don't let that define you because you are not a loser just because you lost. And so as we remember whose we are, we start remembering that, you know, I belong to God. I'm a child of God. And you begin to remember those promises and it begins to encourage your faith and, and, and build you back up. Um, and so that event doesn't define who you are. I love sports because in sports you have opportunities to redeem yourself. If you lose, then you just have another opportunity next week to play another team or whatever it might be, and then you can win. And, and I can remember, uh, of course, I'm a Georgia fan. <clears throat> I remember a couple of years ago when Auburn beat Georgia 
And then they ended up beating Alabama. And then we got to play them in the Sugar Bowl uh, or in the SEC Championship, and we were able to beat Auburn. but we lost to them. We were humiliated before. And this was in November on national tele- television. They, they humiliated us. We got some Auburn people, so I'm not going to dwell on it too much. <clears throat> but you guys humiliated us. And then in the SEC championship, we were able to redeem ourselves and win. And then we were played in the national championship, which we lost to Alabama. But the bottom line is in sports, many times you have this opportunity to redeem yourself. If you miss the field goal, then you'll have a chance to maybe kick the winning field goal at another game. Or, or, or if you, you know, strike out, next time you might have an opportunity to hit a home run and win the game. But there's so many opportunities if you just remember who you are. And we don't, you don't let that define you. Same thing in, in life. When we, when we fail, uh, we're not a failure. You just keep on going. And there's great stories about people like Abraham Lincoln who lost all these elections and they finally got elected. You know, and all of these stories of just perseverance and continuing to do what is right and, and, and don't let those failures, those setbacks define you. But know whose you are and to continue to do what we need to do. Uh, let me share with you Second uh, Peter 3, 9 says this, the Lord is not slow about his promises as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance. That's a powerful scripture talking about salvation, how God wants all to, to come to repentance, and, he's, and, he's, and he is going to punish sin. Uh, and so there's a great scripture, but, but within that scripture is this idea that, that in God's mercy and in God's kindness, when we mess up, then that's not it. There's this opportunity down the road for future success, for future forgiveness, for future. He's not, he's patient toward us, not wishing for us to perish, but come to repentance. So this idea of God being long suffering is in that scripture. And and so even with his children, you know, God's going to be long suffering with us. And so he's going to give us opportunities down the road. So remember whose you are and and keep persevering. And that kind of ties into the last point. So run to God, not away from him. Remember whose you are. And finally, Go back to the basics and do what you know you're supposed to do. And so sometimes when we remember whose we are uh, and we've lost, we need to go back and, and, and go to do the things that we know we're supposed to do. Just kind of like in the third point of, the, of when you're doing great, don't let up. Keep doing those things that you know you're supposed to do. And when, you're, when you do have a setback, when we do have a failure, sometimes we need to go back and say, what was it that I was doing? Uh, what do I need to start doing again? What are those things that, that caused me to fail that I need to stop doing? And going back to the basics. Um, let me read uh, Revelation. This is chapter 2, verse 4 through 5. This is a, a letter to the church uh, at Ephesus. And, and uh, it's just uh, those first couple of uh, chapters are very powerful because you see situations in different churches. But, but this is what uh, God says to the church there. He said, but I have this against you that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the things you did at first, or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. So repentance, acknowledging, confessing, and forsaking those sins. But he says, do the things you did at first. Do those things that you did when you first became a Christian, when you first became a believer, when you first fell in love with me. Do those kind of things. Uh, think about married couples, you know, when you're dating your, your spouse, many times guys, you know, and, and I'm going to pick on guys because I'm a guy, you know, you'll be very kind and you'll be a very, you'll, you'll open a door for your, you know, her and you'll do all these different things. And, and then when you get married after a couple of years, do you still treat that spouse that same way? That might be a good question to ask. And so uh, when I talk to couples and we do premarital counseling, one of the things I challenge the men is to make sure you love 
honor and cherish your wife all the days that you're married. Because you did it when you were wanting to impress her and date her, right? You were cherishing her. You were doing all those kind of things. But have you taken your spouse for granted after four, five, six, seven years, 10 years, 20 years? And if we have, we need to go back and do those things that we did at first that show that you care for that person, that you love that person. The other day I opened the door for Fran and I thought, man, I hadn't done that in a long time. You know, that was, it was just bad. And not that she expects me to, and she doesn't stand there like this and wait on me to open the door. And sometimes it's expedient to open the, you know, she opens her own door. And I'm not saying you have to open your wife's door for you to show that you care about her, but it's that kind of thing of, do we show preference towards someone else? Are we caring for other people? And this idea of going back and doing those things that we know that we're supposed to do in our relationship with God, in, in our relationship with other people, in our work, uh, in the things that we have opportunities to, to be invested in and do, are we doing those little things that we've stopped doing that got us to a, a successful place in the past? Think about those things. Uh, and that's what God told him. He said, remember what you did at the beginning. And not that you were perfect at the beginning. But do those things that show that you love me, Jesus is saying. Do those things that you show that you're consistent or that you care about your job or you care about someone else or whatever it may be. So let me just kind of recap as we close. Uh, The thrill of victory. Man, when things are going great, stay humble. Remember whom to praise and don't let up. And then when things aren't going well, when you face your AIs or whatever it may be, run to God and not away from him. And remember who you are. Don't beat yourself up. And then go back to the basics and do the things you know you're supposed to do. And as we face what's next, as we enter this season of uh, uncertainty and unknown, uh, we will be able to, to, to celebrate the victories, but also be humble in the, in the losses. Amen.